Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Find out about new shows, featured guests, and what's up this week. Find us on Facebook by searching keyword Voice America. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. You are a visionary. You have a vision. You just need to create it and bring it to life. Welcome to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life with your host, Kate Ebner. Our program will be an hour of inspiration from leaders who are making their visions happen, and we'll set you on the path to having a big impact through your leadership and the life you really want. Now here's your host, Kate Ebner. Good morning and welcome to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life. I'm your host, Kate Ebner, and you know, I'm really excited about today's show. You know, so many people, people I coach, people in my family, friends, have this dream of getting away from it all, of going on a quest into nature, of uh, really taking some time to um, figure out uh, what's really going on in their lives and, and who they want to be. Few people actually get out there and do it. And today's show is really about the transformation and self-discovery that can happen when you choose to go on an adventure. And, I, you know, I love this story because in part, it's an adventure that sort of happened to Tom Ryan, who's my guest today. Um, and, and these are, you know, the words from probably the cover of the book, Tom, so bear with me, but the words are middle-aged, overweight, and afraid of heights. <laughs> Newspaperman Tom Ryan and his miniature schnauzer Atticus M. Finch were an unlikely pair of mountaineers. Um, yet six years ago, as a tribute to a dear friend who had recently died of cancer, the two began a journey of endurance and self-discovery together. Tom followed Atticus, as he puts it, up the highest peaks of New Hampshire's White Mountains in the icy dead of winter while raising money for cancer research. Um, he actually toured, you know, made, they made an attempt to tour the peaks twice one winter. Um, those hikes with Atticus changed Tom profoundly, and he wrote a book about it. Um, this is a best-selling book called Following Atticus, 48 High Peaks, One Little Dog, and an Extraordinary Friendship. The book was published in 2011, and I know that thousands have been touched by the story, including me. Um, it's a story of friendship, perseverance, love, self-discovery. Um, it's a very moving book, and I really want to recommend it to our listeners. I'm pleased to welcome you to the show today, Tom. Thank you for being here. Well, thanks for having me. I was so looking forward to doing this until you called me fat in the opening. <laughs> well, I know you're not anymore. You're very fit, and uh, you know. But you I'm know why I <laughs> what Thanks I wanted to include about forward to this. I wanted to include that because I think we all relate to that feeling of can I really do this? And I think that for whatever reasons, those words make that accessible. So, thank you for doing this. And I'm curious: is Atticus with us too? Atticus and Will are here. And Will are here. Excellent. We're going to hear a bit more about Will. Atticus is a dog of few words. Okay. (laughs) Well, I I can sense his presence and that of Will as well. So we'll we'll learn more about them. Now, um, 
this book was given to me by someone who who is the um, the owner and friend of a miniature schnauzer herself, um, a, a, a client and coll- a colleague and friend of mine, Sarah Laskin at National Geographic Society, and she said, "I don't know if I love this book because." it's about a miniature schnauzer or it's just a really great book. She said, I think it's a great book. And I read this, Tom, and I couldn't put it down. I read it out loud. And and I want to say for our listeners that, um, you know, one of the things that's so amazing about this story is, um, first of all, your writing and uh, the uh, humanity and the openness with which you write, Tom. And so I want to invite you to tell us a little bit about, um, about I guess, I don't necessarily want to start with going up the mountains, um, although we want to get to that. But I want to have our our reader, our listeners understand um, more about who you are. So I said you were a newspaper man. Um, maybe you're a newspaper man turned hiker. Could you just give us a little bit of a snapshot of of how you would describe yourself at, at the moment that your story began? At uh, the moment my story began, I was a newspaper man. I owned a uh, a small newspaper, an alternative press, you might call it, in Newburyport, Massachusetts. We printed between 3,000 and 4,000 copies every two weeks. Um, and our critics would say, um, I was a ref- my critics would say I was a muckraker. My fans said I was a reformer. <laughs> and our motto used to be, if you don't want it printed, don't let it happen. But uh, we took a, I took a very progressive stance on moving things forward. And when I started the paper, there was lots of basic politics. There was some poetry in there. There was some cooking uh, mm-hmm. recipes and some creative writing. But within about three issues, it turned into all politics all the time because no report to some of the natives is known as Cannibal City. <laughs> so it became... Uh, uh, quite a controversial uh, um, journey for me for 11 years. And it, high stress, death threats, slash tires, um, advertisers threatened, that kind of thing. So you were really, um, you were, uh, you, I know your paper was called The Undertoad, and it was really uh, dedicated to helping expose both the the the, the corruption or the, the dishonest acts as well as some of the great acts going on in Newburyport and it became kind of a uh, a must read for the people in that community and, and beyond and I, and I know that as you just said you had um, you were uh, at risk because of your your willingness to to talk about to write about some of those things um, what happened next. Well, I was going, uh, doing my paper, minding my own, not minding my own business, minding everyone else's business. <laughs> <my own clothes. laughs> and um, what happened was, uh, a, uh, I, I, I could not afford much. Uh, I didn't have much money. Everyone read my paper, but the big advertisers wouldn't touch it with a 10-foot pole because it was too controversial. So when people wanted something, a donation or this or that, I couldn't give them anything. So I would give them free ads in my paper. And someone contacted me at one point and said, um, my friend Nancy Noyce, who was on the planning board, other zoning board of appeals, said, emailed me and sent out a massive email to many people and said, we have this dog that needs a home. Uh, he's old, elderly, and, he, and I'm afraid if he doesn't find a home, he'll be put in a shelter. So could you help us find Max, a miniature schnauzer, a home? And I was like, oof. And now right at the time, uh, I was going through a bit of stress because uh, the police been caught going through my trash, <laughs> and yeah. I felt uh, very um, 
insecure at the time, very frightened. Is one thing, you know, the death threats were always interesting. Uh, but I always felt when people threatened you, you didn't have to really worry about it because they're threatening you. They didn't act on it typically. Uh, but to come home one night and have my trash bags missing and find out the police are going through them looking for anything they could find in me, hoping it would be child pornography or drugs or something. Um, something. As I wrote in the book, I was a pretty boring guy. Overweight, overweight but boring, and all they found were Ben and Jerry's <laughs> containers and Big Mac wrappers. Um, but I felt as if someone had walked through my soul. It was just, it was gross. The people who were supposed to serve and protect me were coming after me because I was writing about some of their uh, questionable acts. Yes. And um, when Nancy emailed this out, my intention was to write, sure, we'll help you find him a home. Uh, we'll put it on the paper. But by mistake, my fingers wrote, I'll take him. <laughs> and as soon as I sent it, I thought, oh, my God, what did I do? But I said, no, no, it won't matter. Someone else will take him. She sent out the email to so many people. And Nancy, who's a loves animals, uh, wrote me back immediately saying, you two will be so happy together. I'm so excited. And I was like, oh, crap. <laughs> what have I done? Yes, uh, especially since my landlord didn't allow dogs. And um, I used to be consider myself a lab man, uh, you know, a man's man, uh, dogs, bigger dogs. And all I could think of was miniature schnauzers and what I then I had to look it up on the Internet. And I was like, oh, no, <laughs> it's one of those. <laughs> wow. So you so you started out with Max, and I know that Max was really a um, life changing little dog for you. He was. He was a uh, he was a mess. Uh, he um, had a lot of dysfunction. Um, he life had taken its toll on him. He's probably twelve or thirteen. I don't know exact age. Um, and he's very dysfunctional. Um, and I think in that way, we're a perfect match. <laughs> we're alone in the world together. And it's immediate. Our bond took place immediately. And uh, Max would only last with me for about a year and a half. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he'd had to be put down because his heart was going on him. And I was stunned by how much this impacted me. I can only imagine. I mean, a year and a half with a good friend like Max is... is not enough time, but it's enough time to really get get close and to really feel that loss. And, you know, I know that shortly after that, you decided to take the plunge and actually seek another dog, but you didn't want just any miniature schnauzer. You were quite particular. Uh, what were you looking for? Well, I was looking for another Max, actually. Um, first of all, I tried to rescue uh, elderly dogs like Max, another miniature schnauzer. I didn't care about the breed. I just wanted Max. And um, I couldn't find any in my area, and I finally contacted a Schnauzer Rescue uh, group in another state. And um, they had a brother and sister who no one wanted because they'd have to come together, and no one mm-hmm. wanted both dogs. So I said, I'll take them. And it was a great interview over the phone, and everything was wonderful. And then at the end of the interview, when everything was taken care of, I said something to the effect of, they're going to love Newbury Ford like Max did. They'll love the people they'll meet, the interactions, uh, and they'll love running off leash on the beach uh, if they behave themselves. And the woman said, you would let our dogs off leash? Mm. And I said, well, Whoops. if they don't need a leash, why would you put one on them? And uh, I was pretty much told I did not uh, qualify or deserve a dog. <laughs> so I went and looking for a puppy. And... Uh, I went online on some massive search engine, and all these breeders responded to me, but there's one particular that kept uh, pestering me with pictures of micro-mini schnauzers, which are full-grown, they're five pounds, and I didn't want them. And finally she said, well, what are you looking for? And I described what Max was, who Max was, and how he impacted my life. And 
Uh, she said, well, I have one more. And unlike all the other pictures she had sent me, uh, the dogs were perfectly posed, these little six, seven, eight-week puppies. This one was looking at the camera, laying down with his head in his hand, saying, get the picture over with. So, yeah, I'm bored. <laughs> <laughs> and there was something about him. I said, he's the one. And later I would find out that would break her heart. Ah, yes. I know. And, and I guess you might as well tell us, why would it break her heart? Uh, Paige Foster, the breeder, uh, had bred many dogs uh, through the years, for over 20 years. She probably bred, bred more than a 1,000. She had also rescued dogs and used the money from the breeding to rescue well over a 1,000 dogs um, and find homes for them. Um, but she did not have the happiest of lives. As a child, she was um, uh, taken advantage of by a, a grandfather, mm. um, and those things happened for years. And then other things followed that. And unhappy marriages, uh, two of them, one when she was very young and another one she thought she was safe, but he was not very nice either. And so Paige didn't have much in her life at all. She loved her animals, but that was it. But there was just something unique she felt about this one. She had been in a bicycle accident. And um, when he gave birth, she had worked with animals her whole life, and she knew how many puppies would, in each, would be in each mother when they came out. And she expected three to four at least out of Sadie, and only one puppy came out, which is very strange to her. Mm -hmm. and she had been in a bicycle accident and um, had been walking with a cane, and, and she, she'd been that way quite some time and not well, frail, and she took this little puppy to clean it off and weigh it in and bring it back to his mother. But when she brought, walked back to the mother, she realized she wasn't using her cane for the first time in a long time. And so she started bonding with this puppy and decided that out of all the puppies she had bred, this was the one she was going to keep. But later, she, I would find this out seven years later. Um, I know, heard, yeah. heard my story. I've heard and, your story. Uh, and, and, you know, we're going to have to take a break. But I, I think, you know, for those who are just hearing this for the first time, you know, it's, it's, I love this part of the story. I actually loved the fact that, that Paige loved this little unique dog. And um, somehow meeting you, Tom, she heard you say this is the one that actually offered you this picture and <laughs> probably with trepidation and ended up. Um, giving up, you know, a little Atticus for you. And that's, that's a part of, this is an important part of the story. Such sacrifice and empathy, which uh, was one of the reasons Paige Foster would turn into one of my teachers to help me evolve from a newspaper man. Yes. And we're going to continue our conversation. We're going to talk about your teachers and, and actually about Atticus, maybe one of your greatest teachers. Um, when we come back from our break, you know, I, I think Tom, you know, as I as I am in this conversation with you today, I, it's I'm thinking to myself, what is it about this story that I find so compelling and really want people to hear? And I think it's this transformation that you undergo with this little friend at your side and with all that comes with him. And we're going to get to that when we get right back from this break. This is Kate Ebner. You're listening to Visionary Leader, Extraordinary Life. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Do you want to take your organization to the next level? The Nebo Company develops leaders, teams, and organizations to achieve their highest potential. We provide executive and team coaching, leadership courses, mentor programs, and retreats tailored to the unique goals of your organization's leaders. 
With national reach, Nebo specializes in helping senior leaders to articulate a compelling vision, then develop the strategy, goals, and accountabilities that make the vision real. For more information, visit NeboCompany.com. Be sure to ask about our leadership and life curriculum. Again, that's NeboCompany.com. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You're listening to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life with host Kate Ebner. We'd love to hear from you. Pick up your phone and call into 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, please send it to visionaryleader at nebocompany.com. Now, back to today's program. Welcome back, and thank you for being with me this morning on Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life. I'm your host, Kate Ebner. Today, I'm speaking with author Tom Ryan, who wrote the book Following Atticus, a book I love, a story that I, I know you'll love, too. And, you know, right before the break, we were really sort of setting the stage and um, understanding how Atticus came into Tom's life. And he was um, this a very unusual little puppy who... Um, who, you know, once he arrived, almost immediately, maybe immediately began to have um, <clears throat> kind of wreak change <laughs> upon your life, Tom. So let's talk a little bit about, um, let's talk a little bit about the, I want everybody to read this book and, and learn about this friendship. But I think one of the most amazing um, themes of this story is this story of kind of a transformational journey. And I know that um, together with Atticus, you actually went winter hiking in the mountains, and that actually led to um, an enormous accomplishment of hiking the 48 peaks of White Mountains um, more than once. So what sent you up into the mountains that first winter, Tom? You know, are you, are you a big fan of Joseph Campbell, the, mythologist, the late mythologist? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the hero's journey is what his, his whole life study was about. And um, the monomyth is we're going along in life, minding our own business, doing what we think we're supposed to be doing, and we're leading the life we're supposed to lead, we think. And then something happens to us, and it throws us a curveball, and we're forced to take on a different journey. It could be, uh, you know, he would often use the knight in shining armor going off to rescue the damsel in distress against the dragon who's kidnapped her. But during the journey, you have to become... The journey is either voluntary or it's forced upon you, uh, and you have to become more than you've ever become. Uh, Campbell says you have to be willing to give up the life you had in order to live the life that's waiting for you. And strangely enough, I, I, I start the book, of course, with the, uh, the police going through my trash, and that was the uh, impetus for me getting Max, and Max dying brought Atticus in my life. And um, having Max and Atticus in my life, uh, first of all, an old dog and then a puppy. And if you, anyone who's raised a puppy knows it's exhausting work. <laughs> I don't care how gifted the little puppy is, they're exhausting in the beginning if you want to get it right. <laughs> Very true. And uh, Paige told me to carry Atticus wherever I went and don't let anyone else hold him the first month or two. And she said, you all will create a good bond that way. And we did. <laughs> uh, a nice leechless bond. Um, but taking care of Max and then Atticus started me in a way of seeing things more positively. I was writing about a lot of corruption, and it got me taking care of someone, loving someone, uh, nurturing something, um, and it brought out a softer side of me. Um, I wanted to take care of Atticus. So that means I started taking better care of myself. I started losing weight. Uh, we started to go for longer and longer walks. 
uh, we started becoming more active. I, at, in my early 40s, I thought, well, I don't have children. I'm not married. And I may never have children, so this may be my only choice, my only chance to have a child of sorts. So I wanted to bring him up as I wished I'd been brought up. And so we did all kinds of adventures. And then one time, one of my brothers said, um, three of us are going up to hike uh, Mount Garfield, one of the 4,000 footers, where you and Atticus like to join us. And I did. And um, four middle-aged Irish Catholic brothers uh, from a very dysfunctional family of nine kids that don't have a lot to say to each other. <laughs> we didn't say much going up, the, uh, up that mountain. Uh, we complained a lot about how steep it was and how hot it was and how many bugs there were, and we swore a lot. Mm-hmm. But the only one who seemed to do extremely well in the climbing part was Atticus. And when we get to the top uh, of Mount Garfield, it was the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen. It was only two hours from Newburyport. But we looked out over the wilderness below us, into the mountains to the left, into the right, and off in the distance, this beautiful natural amphitheater. And um, I just knew then my life had changed, and I wanted something different. In that uh, all moment? All went along, I thought about that. And then the next summer, Atticus and I came back and decided we'd try to hike all 40 of them. We figured maybe two years. Uh-huh. Um, but we ended up doing them all in 11 weeks. And... Uh, then the fall came, and winter was getting ready, and people said, you know, you did a great job, but, you know, little dogs like that don't belong in the mountains. Most dogs don't belong in the mountains in winter. And only one dog that ever hiked the 4,000-footers, the 48 of them, in winter is in Newfoundland, about 160 pounds. And I said, no, I, I agree. It's crazy. But at night, I, it's like falling in love. Uh, <laughs> there's no reason to it. You just can't stop thinking about it and feeling about it, and you wake up in your dreams. And I kept thinking about mountains and mountains and mountains. And so we ended up going to Eastern Mountain Sports here in New England, uh, a chain store for hiking gear. And I told them I wanted some hiking gear for the winter. And the guy said, well, what are you looking to do? I said, I want to climb 4,000 footers. He said, which one? I said, I'm going to try to do all 48 this winter. Wow. <laughs> and he looked at me, he said, you know, and he looked at a little Atticus, and he looked at my double chin, and he looked at little Atticus, looked at my belly. <laughs> and he said, you know, people die up there. And then he turned around and sold me about $3,000 worth of hiking gear. Wow. <laughs> and so we set out to hike all 48 in one winter like we did the first summer, uh, but we fell short uh, by a few hikes yeah. because the weather was just too much in the end. Yeah, and I remember that Atticus made the decisions about the weather. Is that right? Yeah, it's very important to do. Um, uh, when you hike with a dog, uh, so many people say, I want to hike, and I bring my dog with me. Well, your dog might not like to hike. You know, every dog's different, just like every person's different, and that's one of the reasons I think we have to be careful with what activities to choose. If Atticus didn't enjoy that first mountain and the next summer of mountains, we would have never been up there in the winter. Um, Atticus has a, a way of saying things and deciding what he wants to do and not, and, and not doing. And... Um, there were a couple of hikes where he said, I don't want to go. So we didn't. We, he just sat in the car. Or one time he jumped out. It was very cold. It was below zero, one of the notches when getting ready to hike. And he jumped right back in the car. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember my father. Who, you know, we always had dogs and cats and parakeets and gerbils around the house. But the animals were always second-class citizens. And I didn't want that. I wanted an equal. I wanted a partner. And especially when you take on some things that can uh, challenge your life, uh, winter hiking in dangerous situations, you have to trust your partner and they have to trust you. So it's a, it had to become a partnership. And so I think there were a few times that, three times that first winter, Atticus said, I don't want to go. So we didn't. You know, you said earlier that Atticus um, has a special way of communicating. And, you know, this certainly is one example. He just uh, voted with his feet, it sounds like, got back in the car and 
I, I know that um, it's looking at the photographs of him in, in your book that, you know, he, his little body um, speaks volumes. <laughs> you have beautiful photographs of him sitting, looking out over these uh, amazing vistas and looking completely at home, kind of a little Buddha. Um, what's it like to be in a partnership with your dog? Uh, I think it's a partnership. Uh, you know, I sometimes get into trouble on my Facebook page. And first of all, I want to say hello to all our Facebook page people because I know a lot of them are listening in. Uh, we have this very enthusiastic group, and they're very supportive and wonderful people. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but one of the things I am very uncomfortable with um, we have a lot of people who love miniature schnauzers on our website for obvious reasons, both Atticus and Will are miniature schnauzers. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but they'll say, oh, Atticus or miniature schnauzers are the best. I love what, the best breed ever. And I find that insulting to all dogs. I don't think of the breed. I don't, you know, if I went by a miniature schnauzer, he wouldn't be hiking in the winter. I just treat him as my friend. Um, so we try to get rid of the labels. Uh, we try to just say, he's, he's a dog, he's an animal, I'm an animal, we connect in different ways. I, I, again, it comes down to the golden rule of raising him and then partnering him. Treat someone as you wish to be treated, and that's what it comes down to. So I don't like to think of Atticus as a dog, even though I know he's not a human, and I don't like definitely think of it breeds. I'm, I'm so highly against uh, breeds, one breed being better than the others. Um, yes. I got Atticus because I wanted another Max. I got Will because we have so many Schnauzer people on our Facebook page. And one of them posted a picture of Will needing a home as an elderly dog. And so I swear that my next uh, animal might not even be a dog. It might be an elephant for all I care. I don't see yeah. <laughs> The bond happens with all animals, I think. Yes, it does happen. And, and you know, your point about treating your treating treating an animal as um as equal you know applying the golden rule um in that relationship i know is um part of the wisdom of of your story and of the extraordinary uh relationship and i think there's also you know just in reading the book and learning about you and 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 Atticus who's the dog that i know the most about um i think there's a way that he wasn't really going to let you get away with much less. <laughs> so I, I've kind of been thinking, well, he certainly was one of your teachers. Um, what would you say Atticus has taught you? Well, you know, there's something else I'm uncomfortable with when, uh, you know, I have to, and again, I'm going to get away from Atticus just for one second and go to dogs. There are so many people who love dogs, and I do too. And um, we have bears that come in our backyard all the time, and I love them. I just know I can't hang out with them. <laughs> we can hang out with them from a distance. And there's some pictures on our blog you may have seen of Atticus looking at the bears and without leash about 10 feet away and just saying, hey, how's it going? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but I think it's just like if you and I were to be friends, okay, um, it wouldn't be just me teaching you something. We'd be teaching each other something. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And Reciprocity. Yes, and people often say, you know, uh, my dog, who rescued who? Right. Um, or, uh, and, you know, people often will say, you know, Will, you know, Atticus rescued you. I said, well, I think we grew together. I mean, he, he taught me a lot, but he taught me how to be considerate. He taught me how to be kind. He taught me how to take care of someone else. And so did Max, and so does Will now, and so does every woman I've ever loved and every friend I've ever loved, and in certain ways, some of my family that I'm not very close with. So, um, I just think of paying attention to what you want to be and how you want to treat others. Um, so what has Atticus taught me, I suppose, it's sort of funny, we've received jointly two human hero awards or humanitarian awards. Um, and one of the JFK Presidential Library, when I got up on the stage, uh, I said it's fitting that um, 
a dog is sharing a humanitarian award because he taught me to become more human. And I think okay. um, I'd have allowed Atticus to be who he wants to be. Uh, so I think it goes hand in hand. I love that. I, I think you're. I think it's a wonderful distinction that you're offering as you're describing the relationships. And it, it sounds like what you're really saying, Tom, is 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 that when we're in a, a, a relationship that we really commit to, we we learn. We all learn and grow. It, it's there's an enormous exchange that happens. A wonderful exchange that happens, and that that's available to us, whether it's with a dog or another human or. I suppose even a bear. A love relationship, uh, an animal Mm -hmm. man, uh, a woman. um, I think the most important thing, though, is to surrender to the relationship, uh, to make it a priority. Um, uh, I know of a woman recently I saw on Facebook, uh, a friend of a friend of a friend type thing, and she was so inspired by someone else who got a puppy. She went out and got a puppy from a puppy mill store right away, brought it home, this little teacock, Yorkie something, probably two pounds, three pounds. And within an hour of having it home, she was dressing up and taking pictures for her Facebook page. Mm. And I wanted to throw up. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, like, it, she made it all about her. Uh, mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. narcissistic thing that scares the heck out of me with people with dogs and cats and other animals, who they treat them as accessories instead of um, beings or souls. And um, I don't like to preach to other people, so I try to keep my mouth shut. But I, I think it's really simple. I just don't, I don't mind other people calling... Uh, their dogs fur babies or kids, but Atticus not a fur baby. He's not a kid. Uh, in the span of his life, he's much older than I am because he's eleven now. Uh, mm-hmm. So, and I hate the word owner or master. Uh, when I was working with Harper Collins, they were framing the the, uh, the uh, marketing and the publicity, and they were great to work with. I loved my editor Cassie Jones. She was so good. She got the story, and she was great to work with. And so did the whole team. But when they're saying you don't want master, you don't want owner, what do you want? I said, how about friend? There you go. And I think that works best for us. I think that sounds like an ideal description. You know, we're going to take a break right now, Tom. When we come back, um, I want to to delve a little bit more deeply into into this aspect of relationships and and the transformational nature, perhaps, of relationships as part of this journey. Um, This is Kate Ebner. You're listening to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life, and we'll be right back. Find out which guests are being featured this week. Read our network press releases and read the blog posts from your favorite hosts. Go to iradioblog.com today. Powered by the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Do you want to take your organization to the next level? The Nebo Company develops leaders, teams, and organizations to achieve their highest potential. We provide executive and team coaching, leadership courses, mentor programs, and retreats tailored to the unique goals of your organization's leaders. With national reach, Nebo specializes in helping senior leaders to articulate a compelling vision, then develop the strategy, goals, and accountabilities that make the vision real. For more information, visit NeboCompany.com. Be sure to ask about our leadership and life curriculum. Again, that's NeboCompany.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life with host Kate Ebner. We'd love to hear from you. Pick up your phone and call into 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email... 
please send it to visionaryleader at nebocompany.com. Now, back to today's program. Good morning and welcome back. Um, this morning I'm speaking with best-selling author and hiker, explorer, Tim, Tom Ryan. Sorry, Tom, I know someone named Tim. But how going on long walks with his dog, Atticus M. Finch, has reshaped who he is as well as his perspective on life. And, you know, we're learning, I think, quite a lot um, through this conversation as you're talking, Tom, about um, you know, there's maybe there's the process, you know, the process of of um, discovering who you are and, and, and learning through relationships. But then there's the relationship itself. And right before the break, you said something very powerful, which was, you know, to surrender to the relationship and to really make it a priority. And um, I know that you've taken a new, um, a new dog into your life. His name is Will. Uh, will you tell us a little bit about Will? Yeah, and that's going to be easier than talking about Atticus, because Atticus is very in tune and very sensitive to everything that goes on around us. Will is deaf, so that helps, so I can say anything I want around him. <laughs> <laughs> about, uh, let's see, May of two, early May, first week of May of 2012, um, uh, a Facebook friend uh, on following Atticus' page uh, named Laura um, posted a picture of an unwanted dog who was dropped off in a kill shelter in Jersey. Uh, he was 15. Um, you could tell by his eyes, bad cataracts. Um, the family, you know, I try not to judge the family anyway because we all have our own struggles to go through, but he was dropped off in a kill shelter, and he was saved by New Jersey Schnauzer Rescue Network, but they felt they would have a hard time finding him a home. 15 and arthritic and, you know, pretty frail. And just look at the pictures, you could tell he was a broken soul. And so the picture was posted on our page, and I always said I would never take another dog in as long as I had Atticus. Um, we were fine, and we had a great life, and we're doing book tours and hiking and having fantastic uh, experiences. But then I saw this dog, and I could tell no one probably would want him. And I, I don't know what hit. It's like that the police stealing my trash. It set you on one journey. You'd never expect it. Uh, this set me on another journey. Uh, and I said, we'll take him. And I think that surprised me, and I think it surprised a lot of people, and I think it shocked Atticus. <laughs> um, I but, bet. Uh, when I first picked up, uh, when Atticus and I first picked up Will in Connecticut in the halfway point, he was so bad. Uh, he was frail. He could not walk very well. He was completely deaf, could barely see, and very, very uh, angry. And that first day, he bit me several times. At one point, he stuck his tooth through my tongue and my thumb, and I could feel my blood I was thinking my father, my, you know, your initial response is to whip him across the, the way, uh, uh. smack him, because you're being hurt. But I stopped again that empathy thing that I, I think I've learned from trying to become a better person by taking care of Atticus in such a way and becoming a good friend to him. And I thought, well, how would I feel if I was Will? I can't see, can't hear. The only family I ever knew dropped me in a place is very strange. He had to feel abandoned. He had to feel angry. He had to feel hopeless. And so I left my thumb in his mouth and let him bite me and let him set the pace. Uh, we figured we'd give him a place to die for a month or two at the most because he wasn't mm-hmm. going to make it. Mm-hmm. But here it is, what, uh, 14 months later, and he's thriving, and he's happy, and he's healthy. He still can't hear. Uh, he can't see very well, but he can see shapes and shadows, and um, he's a pleasure to be with right now. What happened in those 14 months that created that for him? 
I think what we just talked about before, allowing someone to be who they want to be. Uh, in the beginning, allowing Will to be angry, because uh, I would be angry too. I didn't allow him to take it out on us. He didn't go after Atticus, all, but he'd come after me quite a bit. But eventually I let him set the pace. Little things, paying attention to what he needed, what gave him pleasure. Being outside in the backyard uh, here in the little mountain yard we have, and sniffing the wildflowers. I, his sense of smell was obviously good, so each week I'd go to Hannaford, our local supermarket, our local florist, Carrie, and I'd buy flowers for Will so he mm. wouldn't have them to smell. And um, I courted him, I guess. <laughs> then one day, Addie and I came back from a walk, and uh, Deaf Will had his ear against a coffee table. And where the speakers, the music, uh, my iPhone was hitched up, and speakers are playing, and he was feeling the vibrations of the music. So now Will has flowers, and now I put music on for him, and we do a thing called a Willaby on our Facebook page where once or twice a week I film it, but we do it almost every night. I put music on for him, a beautiful, soft song, and um, put the speakers on the floor so you can feel the vibration, and I cover him up and tuck him in like I think we all wish we'd been raised that way as kids and like we'll want to be taken care of when we're Will's age. He's now 16. Oh, that is moving to hear you talk about that. You know, you're so such a keen observer. You know, you're really, uh, I mean, to to attend to Will in that way. You know, as you described, really, um, I think shows us how attentive you are. You know, how you're paying attention. And I'm I'm also struck, um, Tom, by um, the word love. You know, you just seem to receive and give love um, so generously and yet I know you didn't grow up with that environment um, no it took me a long time I remember meeting a woman um, around the time I was 40 and she said why are you still single I said because I should be because I was a mess for the first 40 years <laughs> <laughs> yes and, and people say oh you're so kind I said well I have a lot of time to make up for I wasn't so kind in the beginning I wasn't a bad guy but as a lost soul so uh, I think the best thing we can do, you know, I went on a juice fast last summer um, when I switched to veganism, and I, t- I watched the movie Fat, Sick, and Nearly Dead from Joe Cross, and it's phenomenal, and it's inspiring, and I did a 67-day juice fast, and, and I lost a ton of weight, but one of the things he says in this movie about, uh, about changing yourself, it's very like Joseph Campbell-like, he said, you know, the best way to change the world is to change yourself. And changing myself through a life of simplicity, moving to the mountains, getting pleasure of hiking, uh, not thinking about corruption as much, not thinking about what's wrong with the world, but thinking what's right with it, comes about by being around Atticus, seeing bears in the yard or moose or the hummingbirds or the bats, um, seeing uh, Will survive and thrive and getting pleasure out of just holding him now, the little dog who would never want to be touched because he'd bite me all the time. Now every morning comes over to the couch, even though he can't see, he wants me to pick him up so he can look out and watch the trees move back and forth. Mm. And eventually he falls asleep with his head on my chest. And then putting him away and laying him down to take a nap, and then Addie and I go off and do our things. It's, I, think, I think the most important things we can do is to appreciate the gift of life we have. I don't care what you do. I don't care what your passion is. But if you find a way to really turn it sensual, uh, it's like making love. Uh, when I write, I feel like I'm making love. Uh, I'm writing to someone I love. And you talked about the book, how it was written. I I wrote it for HarperCollins for the first seven months and hated it and threw it away with like three weeks to go. And I think my dear agent, Brian DeFiori, had a heart attack. <laughs> and so, but I said, I can do this. And so I wrote each chapter as if it was a love letter to my uh, grandchildren. I don't even have children, but great-grandchildren or grandchildren, or to the woman I knew was out there that I wanted to fall in love with one day, the soulmate who was waiting for me. Um, and so 
I think if we go through life thinking about how much we love it and what we love about it and that the textured existence, it makes it much better. It does for me at least. And so paying attention to what treating Will the way I'd want to be treated, putting myself in his shoes, uh, same thing with Atticus, uh, same thing with anyone we encounter. It's not always easy, but it makes my life better to do, and I do a better job right now than I used to. You know, um, I'm, I'm struck by by that insight about that, that you wrote the book um, for your future grandchildren, and, and I think that that quality of of love and of um, generous openness you know the generosity of your sharing it really just comes through and it makes it very special um and i'm also curious about something you said a minute ago that you know you've become vegan actually and um did did your dogs have anything to do with that they did they're not vegans but i am <laughs> <laughs> well um I, I had some friends who are vegetarian and um Every now and then I get around them and they'd say, well, let me, uh, I'll, I'll cook you a steak. I said, no, no, I'll try what you're having. And I started paying attention. I saw the movie um, uh, Fat, Sick, and Nearly Dead, like I said, the juicing movie. I saw uh, Forks Over Knives. I started to watch these other documentaries. And um, then I started to pay attention. I was like, well, this chicken, I really love Kentucky Fried Chicken, and I really love Big Macs, and I really love all the stuff that's not good for me. And even though I'd lost a lot of weight in the beginning of that, I guess I kept eating, even though we were, I was exercising and hiking, I was gaining weight again, because the more I hiked, the more I ate. Um, mm-hmm. But then I started to pay attention to where that food came from. Um, and I'm so turned off by the vegan police. Uh, people tell you how to live. Uh, I'd never tell anyone how to live, but I just decided for myself that I wouldn't want to eat Atticus. He just raised his eyebrows. <laughs> You know, I just suddenly raised his eyebrows, and I wouldn't <laughs> want to eat Will. And uh, when I started looking at cows and saying, I like cows, I don't want to eat cows. So I started looking into it, and so I made the leap. And this year, I've switched over to uh, cruelty-free products now, uh, soaps and detergents and cosmetics, and trying to do my best with clothing. And it's a, it's a process. Uh, but I just, it's a way of, to me to live kinder, because I love animals, so why should they have to suffer? so I can have a nice coat, or so some woman could have nice mascara, or so I can eat a steak. Um, I just chose that's not the way I want to be. Wow, that's a powerful declaration. And uh, um, a real, it sounds like a real alignment with your, your, your heart and your philosophy and this idea that you're talking about, about um, the way I want to be, you know, Joseph Conrad's invitation to, to be the way you want to be and to start there in terms of changing the world. Um, we only have another minute or so before we take a break, Tom, but, you know, um, how do you think of this? I, I want to ask you a big, huge question, so let me try to, to right-size it for the 30 seconds we have left, but I'm, I'm, I'm struck just by the, the way you're thinking about who you are and so I sometimes, as a leadership coach, use the words that journey of becoming oneself, that life is a journey of becoming yourself. And it sounds like that's really the journey you've been on. Would you agree? It is. I think one of the things I do when I'm in a difficult time is say, if I was watching my, my character in a movie, how would I want my character to act right here? Mm-hmm. And then I do it if I can. I do my best to do it. I think the best we can do is just strive to be the best we can. Mm-hmm. And we're going to fall short at times, but we try. How do you forgive yourself when you fall short? Do you have a, do you have a way of thinking about that? 
Yeah, I, I used to be the most insecure in the man in the world when I started my paper, my newspaper. But then I realized that the whole world screwed up. We're all screwed up. You're screwed up. I'm screwed up. We can do the best we can. <laughs> we're going to make mistakes, and we're going to be angry, and we're going to screw up, and you know, when we're going to need forgiveness, and we need to forgive. Um, so I think we can laugh at ourselves. <laughs> I think we can, too. We're going to take a break right now. You're listening to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life. My guest is Tom Ryan, and he's sharing um, his 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 wisdom and perhaps the wisdom of Atticus and Will with us this morning. We'll be right back. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Do you want to take your organization to the next level? The Nebo Company develops leaders, teams, and organizations to achieve their highest potential. We provide executive and team coaching, leadership courses, mentor programs, and retreats tailored to the unique goals of your organization's leaders. With national reach, Nebo specializes in helping senior leaders to articulate a compelling vision, then develop the strategy, goals, and accountabilities that make the vision real. For more information, visit NeboCompany.com. Be sure to ask about our leadership and life curriculum. Again, that's NeboCompany.com. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life with host Kate Ebner. We'd love to hear from you. Pick up your phone and call into 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, please send it to visionaryleader at nebocompany.com. Now, back to today's program. This is Kate, your host, and I've been enjoying this conversation with Tom Ryan this morning. I hope you have been too. Um, you know, we just have one more segment left, Tom, to talk. And, you know, I know you've recently been out in the mountains and have returned. Do you want to tell us a little bit about, about your most recent adventures? Well, uh, you know, when we started those first three winters, the first winter was just to try to get them all 48 done in one winter. Uh, the second winter was to try, try to do 96 peaks, 48 peaks, twice in 90 days to raise money for the Jimmy Fund and Dana-Farber Cancer Institute for kids with cancer. And the, the third winter, we tried to replicate that as well, uh, two rounds. But uh, record snowstorms held us to only 66 peaks. Um, and that was raising money for Angel Animal Medical Center. But that intensity went with my ego. And a lot of people come up to the mountains to hike, and they say, I want to do this, I want to do this, I want to accomplish that. I want to do the 48, I want to do the winter, I want to do the 100 highest, I want to do this, I want to do that. And what I realized was the first, after those first three winters, I was competing with myself like I used to do down in Newburyport. Uh. Living up here, I wanted a simpler life. So now Atticus and I still go out and hike, although we haven't lately because we both have a bad left foot right now for a little while. But um, now we hike for the pleasure of it. We like to hike and sit on a full moon, uh, sit on a mountain on a full moon and listen to Beethoven. Uh, we hike at night a lot when no one else is around. We find places where no one else is hiking so we can just enjoy the pleasure of the mountain, and the company of the mountain, and the wind and the breeze. Uh, so it, we still hike. We just don't do it with the intensity or for the ego-driven purposes of it. I think it's like you know, following your bliss, as Joseph Campbell said. I think this is the third time I brought him up today. 
Yeah, that's that's interesting to discover that pattern again. You know, to to set out on this on this journey and and to have this extraordinary time with um, Atticus, and then to discover a few years into it that you, that you're actually had taken yourself on, <laughs> and right. and then and, to, you know, to back you, out again, of that. This is why following Atticus is such a great story because. It's exactly what I do. My friends would, when I was trying to come up with the title of the book, they said, well, every picture we see of a Vatican's fanny ahead of you on a mountain. <laughs> You're always following and he's always off leash. And um, I do want to get back to one last thing about Addie that's really special, and it's in the book. Um, that second winter where we tried to do all 48 twice, and I was following him over those mountains, and he led me. Um, three weeks after, he was blind. And this is all on Animal Planet, so I'm not giving away too much here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was sure I'd caused his blindness by bringing him up tree line with all the snow. The doctors, the specialists said, no, you don't understand. Um, cataracts don't come on that quickly. Most likely, he was mostly blind, leading you over the mountains. Wow. Um, that sacrifice of his, that giving to me what he felt maybe I needed, I don't know, I can't speak for Atticus, but what he did and what Paige did in giving up the only dog she wanted to keep, those are the two things that have made me more humble, that made me realize... I have a short life to live, and if these two individuals can give so much to sacrifice to make me a better person, then I can start giving to other people in other ways. So that's why we raised money for the Jimmy Fund when a friend died of cancer, and she loved kids. So we hiked the mountains in her name. And when Atticus, $9,000 came in for Atticus's eye surgery out of nowhere, uh, and other medical issues he had from hikers and kids with cancer and cancer survivors and school kids and business people, um, now, whenever we do something, if we can, we try to find something because we're passionate about hiking. We try to use it to give way, uh, ways to give back to something. And oftentimes now it's our local shelter uh, up here in North Conway, New Hampshire. I, I mean, I'm, I'm glad you talked about that. And, and um, I think for those of us listening to really get the connection between the causes that you support and the the heartfelt commitment you really have um, for those causes and for people who care about those causes um, and the animals who are affected by them. So, you know, I, I wanted to ask you, um, well, I guess my mind's going in all directions, but I'm kind of curious, Tom, what's a typical day like for you? Uh, there isn't one. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was sensing. There isn't one. The, the, the book deal was, it was nice. It, was, it gave us some freedom to be who we wanted to be, and I'm working on my second book now, hopefully pitch it to HarperCollins soon enough. Um, but um, it's not. I mean, we, I, I base it on the dogs and myself. We, I, you know, I'm not one of those people who sacrifice my life for a dog. And Atticus doesn't sacrifice his life for me. We work out what works for both of us. There's certain times we need to hike. We both need it or rest or walk. Right? I need to write. And, uh, you know, every now and then if I'm writing too much, he'll come and look at me and stare at me as if Eddie on, remember the Frasier show with Frasier Crane and Eddie, mm-hmm. the little Jack Russell Terrier, just stare at him. Atticus will climb up in the chair and stare at me if I'm writing too long. And I'm like, all right, we'll go for a walk, but you're going to have to wait another hour. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's little things. Uh, when I'm at my best, I start each day with a prayer of gratitude. I list 50 or 100 things I'm thankful. I don't care what they are. It could be a new pair of shoes. It could be the fact that I'm lighter than I used to be. It could be that Addie and Will are healthy. It could be that uh, the people in my life are healthy. I don't care what it is. I try to start it with gratitude, start it with a walk with Addie, uh, bring Will out in the yard and watch him jump around with his little bunny hop dance where he can barely mm-hmm. do, but he's so happy to be alive. And he does his morning movement, and he's so happy, like any old man would be, that he went to the bathroom and bring him in to eat, and then putting him down to rest, and then we go from there. 
we see what happens sometimes a hike, sometimes it's sitting by a stream, sometimes it's reading. But we always try to have music going. We try to have good food around. We try to do things that it didn't take time to do before. You know, this, um, that's what, that, thank you for saying that word before, because I think that was where my, the other place my, my mind's been going is sort of the before and the after. And, and I know that that's um, too polarizing a way to think about this, because really the journey of, your, of a lifetime is, is on a continuum. Um, but um, I, I wonder, you know, for you, you know, if you look back, say, t- to eight or ten years ago, compared to today, you know, who was Tom Ryan then? Who's Tom Ryan now? Uh, Tom Ryan, even though he was 42, was an angry young man. Um, I think um, a blogger in Newburyport, a very gifted blogger named Mary Eden, um, she pointed out to me afterwards, do you think you took on all the bullies in town with your paper because you're trying to fix a town because you couldn't fix your family when you were a kid? And I think mm-hmm. that might have been it. My father once said that every young man needs a war. Well, the undertow to my years in Newburyport with my war, I've come up here and I've gotten away from the drama. I've gotten away from the tension as much as I can. In my little town of Jackson, there's 800 people, but it's like any other little town, and there's lots of stuff going on. People say, well, you used to be a writer, a newspaper writer. Why don't you write about stuff up here? And I say, I don't want to know anything that's going on up here. <laughs> <laughs> I'd rather pay attention, to the, you know, and I'm not a joiner. I'm not a joiner. So, but I think there's always we can do things. Um, for instance, the old lady in the, in, the, in the checkout line ahead of you at the bagel store who's fishing for pennies to pay for a bagel, step back mm-hmm. and pay for it. Uh, going through Starbucks drive through windows, just the heck of it. Whoever's behind you, you don't even know them, just pay for their coffee before they get up there. Um, uh, the old lady at the, uh, the dog food store, we have this wonderful lady. She just never knows I'm going to do it, but I try to buy her food for her a week in advance so she doesn't think about it. And I'm not a joiner. There's so many people who do so many great things, but I think even if you're not a joiner, you can do things like that. So... My life now is much more simple. I try to embrace the simple. I try to show gratitude. And I think that in itself makes me a better person. Uh, there's one last quote I want to share with you. And I won't get it right because it's German. It's from good as um, Faust. And at the end, you know, Faust has made a deal with the devil, pretty much, to become all these wonderful things, rich and powerful and everything. And at the end, he tries to repent. He realized the mistake he made. And the angels come and save him. And someone says, how can you save this guy? He, he committed all these sins. And the angels sing out in chorus, he who strives, we can save. And I don't care how old you are. You, it's never too late to start to find out what you want, what your passion is, who you want to be, and uh, pay back that way. I think because the best gift we can give someone is a better version of ourselves. The best gift we can give someone is a better version of ourselves. Yeah, give the world, give it to someone else, give it to ourselves. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, really, we are so fortunate to have what we have. And I think if we, as long as we concentrate on what we are grateful for, you don't have too much time to complain. I can kind of sense Atticus's approval, actually, of what you just said. <laughs> well, Atticus is looking at me saying, when can we go to the bathroom? <laughs> <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Uh, we're coming up on the hour. You know, for people who are, are maybe meeting you for the first time on this show today, where can they go to learn more about you, to follow your blog, or um, connect up through Facebook? Well, uh, Facebook, you can just go on Facebook and look for following Atticus. Um, and for our blog, just Google um, Tom and Atticus, and you'll find our blog. Um, or on Twitter, but I'm kind of bored by that. I, I think Twitter's kind of silly. I follow other people, but I always find myself not witty enough <laughs> to put 
something in the 140 characters. Um, so, yeah, our Facebook page, I can't speak enough about it. I didn't want to do Facebook, Kate, uh, but, uh, but I did it. And we have this incredible group of now 14,000 people who participate and are funny and they're caring. And right now, we're, this woman, people are talking about their heartfelt issues. And it's, it's wonderful. You share with them, they share with you. And I think we're all on the same journey, so we all have to be kind to each other. So um, come and follow us and we'll follow you. I love it. Following Tom and Atticus and to some extent Will too. So thank you so much, um, Tom Ryan, for joining me in this hour. It's just been a, a pleasure and an honor to have you on the show today. Um, and, you know, for those interested, you know, sign up for our newsletter at the Nebo Company. That's nebocompany.com. And we're going to write an article about this conversation and we'll link you to this show again. Take care and have a great week, everyone. We sincerely hope you've enjoyed hearing from leaders who are using vision to create an inspiring future. Please join host Kate Ebner for another edition of Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life next Monday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Business Channel. Meanwhile, visit www.nebocompany.com for more tips on bringing your own vision to life. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.